very early when Jimmy moved to England, he'd, he he was already hanging out on the scene with a bunch of guys, and uh, they, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper on a Friday, and then he was doing a concert the Sunday and had learned, like, uh, and had learned the, the opening song and, you know, Sgt. Pepper's, and he was going to say, he was going to play it, and then he, he starts out and then he hits the big, you know, he, you know, starts playing with all his funky wah-wah pedals and stuff and it throws the guitar out of tune halfway through. And so Jimmy's sort of stuck up there with this guitar that sounds terrible now. And he just sort of peers out into the audience and says, Is Eric Clapton in the room? I need him to tune my guitar. That's amazing. <laughs> and Clapton's, like, in a booth in the back hiding. <laughs> That's so good. Side, formerly of Booneycast. Yeah. See, I've, I've switched groups, which is relevant to this discussion. That wasn't funny at all. No, I'm not s- really. I'm, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I, I think uh, we need to show off how completely, like, of a pow- how I am not a permanent comedy powerhouse. That's okay. I'm not judging you. Okay. So, s- Good. Well, we don't have any iTunes ratings, so it's not like I'm worried about you switching <laughs> Doc and me a star later. It's okay. Actually, I'm, I'm not sure. sure. None of that is gonna. None of that's gonna matter. Yeah, no. Uh, I am Scott, and with me tonight is also Scott. Hi, hello. Yeah, you you might remember also Scott from episodes from long, long ago. Galaxy far from. Actually, no, it was pretty. It was pretty close, I think. Yeah, I think it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. seems it seems to be within walking distance. Yeah, unless it's really rainy, and then you're better off yeah, just taking the bus. Yeah. All right. So today's episode. Well, well, first, first we're gonna do pick of the week. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because yeah. that's how it's, we roll. It's been so long. I, I forgot the format. Yeah, <laughs> such as it is. Yes. What's great is uh, go back and listen to our Dark Tower episode where we, where it completely slips my mind to do pick of the week, despite having warned the guy who showed up to talk to to do it that we were gonna do it and that he he had one ready and everything. Oh wow! And then it's like he had to leave for dinner and then I'm like, shit! <laughs> I if he'd stuck around ten minutes long, if I'd remembered it twenty minutes earlier, I could have done it and dropped it into the front. So what happened? Did you just tape it after and just... No, no, I just ran it without it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of disappointing. Just not the same. It it really wasn't the same editing. In editing, it's just like, wow, that was direct and to the point. Completely against my mission statement for the show. What's uh, what's the point of a podcast if you're not going to have a couple of long, meandering, you know, rants that just go nowhere, ultimately? Yeah. One of which you will have to cut because it's like this episode's already two hours. I don't think these guys. I don't think my listeners are ready for a third long meandering rant that goes nowhere. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. But pick of the week. And my pick. Pick of the week. Pick of the week for me. Um, thumb. Thumb is extended up for uh, Dead Island. I know that. Um, it is, it is uh, you know, taking a bit of a, a beating in the in the, the press. It's got mostly good reviews, but you know, it's kind of a, you know, 
despite all its flaws, it's still an enjoyable game. You know, one one of those. So. That 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 sort of cop out ending before you slap the seven point five on it. Yeah, pretty well. It's it's uh, it's pretty much just the the blend of Borderlands and uh, Left for Dead. And I'm, I didn't pick this up expecting to have you know like a, a contender for game of the year. I just wanted to. Beat some zombies in the face. Exactly, with RPG elements. And, you know, that is that is what is delivered. I didn't expect it to be this comprehensive, you know, open world exploration game. You know, like, I didn't, I didn't want that. I just wanted to, you know, just have a, a simple time beating up zombies with, uh, you know, my level 5 angry pipe of doom. <laughs> so ultimately, yeah. That's that's it does it and it does it well and uh, it's a lot of fun to play a multiplayer, uh, not as much fun but still fun to play it by yourself, you know. Um, it was good, yeah. So that is where my thumb is up for. All right, I, I will do my thumb up because I've come up with a thumb down in, in while while you were talking, but my thumb up is going to NBC's Thursday Night Lineout which I'm missing out on right now, but we'll catch tomorrow via various streaming services. I think that, like... Some of which are legal? Well, most most will be legal, I think. Like, the CTV and City TV have a pretty good job of streaming their syndicated shows, so... Oh, okay. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, what's it? Uh, Community... uh, Parks and Rec, Third Rock, and a fourth show. I think it's new. That was a stacked lineup. Yeah, like, honestly, I don't think um, NBC's Thursday Night has been this good since, like, Seinfeld was at its peak. Yeah, talented, funny people, you know, making making worthwhile television. And no, we're not viral marketers. We, we, we NBC does not pay <laughs> us. By, we're not being paid by NBC to talk about this. Although, if you are listening, please. You know, wouldn't say no. Exactly. Please, please make the checks out to Scots. <laughs> yes, just, just put make it out to Scots. Open bracket S, close bracket. Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yes, my, my thumb down is, is for the Facebook keynote address speech, just because I really don't think that anyone should be that emotionally invested in Facebook. It is bad enough that we have people who are complaining about, you know, every time they make a change. And just go see a movie. Go read a book. Go listen to a podcast, of which I have several now, apparently. Yeah, you cannot plug this podcast enough, but seriously. I'm the only person adding this show to stumble upon and dig. It makes me sad. (laughs) Someone's got to do it, I guess, right? Someone's got to. Yeah. Um... But, but yeah, it's just, it's almost as bad as the, the Apple keynote, but that I can understand because, you know, you're actually selling physical, tangible products that are, you, you're pretending that are making people's lives better. So yeah, Facebook keynote, thumbs, thumbs down thumbs down. to the depths of the earth. Yes. Uh, my, my thumbs down is going to Daryl Lloyd of the bearstorm.com because his shenanigans are so entertaining that that mean they make me laugh inappropriately when I listen to the show on the bus. People like Daryl is new to the Bearstorm podcast, and they have this segment now where they just ask him questions, and he responds with ridiculous answers, and it makes me laugh. And the note because no one on the bus can hear what I'm hearing, and because they would laugh too. So I'm just sitting in the middle of the bus, g- trying not to giggle. Everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy. Oh man, that's that's fine. I've laughed out loud to, to you know, Louis C.K. live albums, David Cross, you know, Richard Pryor. That's 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 fine. I give thumbs down to your lack of self control. Thumbs up for someone making you laugh. All right then. <laughs> now it feels though I must offer further thumbs up and down. No, no, that's that's fine. That's fine. Okay. So we're, we're we're today we we are going to deliver on a promise I made to a dude on Twitter months ago that we would talk about Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix as part of our continuing series of debates about 
musicians. <laughs> Who is better? We will eventually crown a best musician ever. Yes. May or may not be Bob Dylan. May or may not be. Well, well, you'll have to tune in. That's the plug. That's the hook. You know what? I figure if this keeps going, like if we, we, we seem to be cheering two of these music debate episodes out a year. Exactly. So I figure within eight years, we'll have established some sort of 16... Yeah, exactly. 16, uh, 16 uh, person bracket. Exactly. We'll and then we will just narrow that down to awesomest like guy ever. Soccer, you know, just one game knockout. Boom, boom, boom. Single game knockout. Yeah, exactly. That's the way you got to do it. Yep. Vote. It's like when uh, I had that thing on Live Journal uh, a long time ago, and it's basically which country is better. And it was just, I was trying to determine which country was the best country in the world. And it was just, it was just single. Uh, just, just one vote, one day voting, and then just the loser getting gets knocked out. So it was, it was good times actually. Yeah, well, I I did figure out how to add polls to uh, blogger accounts after a series of twitters between myself and oh, cool. Rob and Robin D Laws, because he was trying to figure out how exactly one could do it in embedded in a post, and it turns out you really can't. Hmm. It has to be in the sidebar. That's. That kind of sounds kind of unwieldy. Yeah, no. Blogger has some weird stuff. Like, there's there's a bunch of handy little gizmos they add, and then it's like if you want to mess around with the HTML within a single post, it's 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 tricky. <laughs> so so yes, the the lesson we can learn from all all the, the last bit of talking was that I spend a lot of time on Twitter. So you yes. you can you can poke me and suggest stuff and. Just bishop me for the for all the episodes. Also, don't drink the the cleaning products under the sink. They're bad for you. Yeah, that's just a general lesson. Yeah. Like no no matter how bright blue and tasty Windex might look, not a good idea. Oh, but it looks so good. Actually, yet total tangent here. But yesterday we were doing an open house in the restaurant, and I had to pre-mix a bunch of cocktails, right. and we make this blue martini thing. That looks exact is the exact same color of Windex. Like I tastes like it too. Uh, it, 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 it did, I did not want to drink it. Like I, I just like at some point, like in the instructions in the recipe that we have, we like, we have a recipe book of all the little variations we do as a restaurant collectively. And what what and there was a notation. It's like it should look exactly like Windex. If you if it does not, you have added too much pineapple juice. That's uh, that's kind of disturbing, in a way. I mean, yeah. The these well, part of it has to do with the issue of the odd, the oddly imprecise nature of uh, of uh, cocktail recipes. Like, right. like every other form of uh, every sort of form of cooking has grown beyond pinches and dashes and spot of things, but bartending is still like. Splash of juice, and it's like, what constitutes a splash? Yeah, what whatever happened to um? I heard they were making follow up to uh to Cooking Mama. It was bartending Mama. And it was just you have to you just you know go through and mix drinks and no. And now I although I would be definitely interested in a bartending sim. <laughs> I would uh I would play it. Let's see what it would be like. See, you know what, and that's the thing is, unlike Cooking Mama, you could expand this into a bunch of directions. So it's like, yes, you also have, you ha- you have to mix drinks via little mini games, but then it's like belligerent guy at the bar gets belligerent, and so you have to like then then it goes to like a little little like uh, fighting game. So you have to like not you know slap him around a little and throw him out of your bar. Yeah. Then maybe some sort of like other yeah, different. Yeah mini-game for, like, flare bartending. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Use the uh, the Wii controls, you know, to uh, help expand on that. Or, or maybe just incorporate some elements of the dancing games to do the coyote hop on the bar and shake around stuff. <laughs> so we, we were talking before we started recording on... Uh, on supergroups, and uh, technically, I think we would constitute a supergroup of our own. Well, yeah, especially my ha- my habit of occasionally bringing in people from other podcasts to 
but mostly in a blatant play to get them to cross-link us and get a lot of traffic. Oh, man. It's not like I didn't hit, you know, it, it's not like I haven't told everyone before, but, yeah, August we got more hits than every other month combined, thanks to Neo from Gundam. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, man. Get that guy back in here. Oh, no, it had less to do, like, he, he'd been on before, like, he was the guy who talked Led Zeppelin with us. Right. And he was like, and the, the only reason we got that massive swell of hits for that one was simply because it was a very contentious date uh, debate within a certain fandom, just expanding across the interwebs to be like, oh, Dio is talking about this with this guy. <laughs> Like, it's it's settling some scores from a completely different forum on the internet. Jesus. Well, whatever works, right? Whatever works. We'll see if any of you stick around. If you did, hey, thanks. But yes, super groups. Swell people. They're swell guys. And gals. And undetermined, if that's how you roll. Whatever, whatever, uh, whatever you are. To, to one person or many people. We, we appreciate you listening. Even if you don't have ears. Nope. We, we, have no, we have no beef with the earless. They're people too. They are people too. Even if they look a little weird. Yep. But, but super groups. <laughs> oh no. Alright, so yeah, super groups. Um, they're not very good. Yeah. There's not there's not a lot of very good ones. I mean, like we we kind of went through the list and we were like, no, they are good. Well, I mean, it just seems like you know it's almost too much concentration of talent in one place, and it just kind of just overlaps and doesn't really you know well, you don't really do anything like. I guess well, the the one super group that really worked was Cream, and I mean you know, subject of podcast Eric Clapton is in that. They only stayed together for uh, you know like what like three or four albums. And, well, and and, th- and I think that's why Cream worked. I like getting into my thoughts on super group is, groups is I think Cream worked because they'd st- stuck around for three albums. It's like you go down the list, and there's a handy list on Wikipedia, by the way. Wikipedia, if you're listening, hey, a few bucks wouldn't hurt. <laughs> exactly. Are you kidding me? They're hard up for cash. I know, I know. Well, we're we're helping them by pointing out cool pages on Wikipedia. Exactly. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, all the people listening who haven't heard of Wikipedia better rush over <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not like there's some sort of bizarre standard what? on the web now, no. <laughs> Wiki what? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right, but, yeah but, but but going down the list, it's very few that seem to hang to hang together for more than the one project. Like, and you think it would, and you'd think with it's just the one project, you'd think these just be guys, you know, they're all friends. They decide to goof around and record it for, record it and release it just for giggles. But it's not even that because it doesn't even have that sort of jam sessiony fun fun sound you get. Exactly. It's just, you know. The whole idea is you and a bunch of talented other people going into the studio and, you know, maybe you do seven or eight of your own new songs and you have a couple covers in there, songs you really like, and then, you know, you just, you you put it out and then you go back to doing it as, you know, whatever you do for your day job, be it, you know, another part of another band or solo or whatever, and it's just... I don't know, it just seems like it's just too much, you know? Like, you have expectations, right? You see all these amazing artists, like, ah, like, you know, all these guys together, and it's going to be, like, the best thing ever, right? And like, no, it's not not really. It's just, it's like, it's, it's, it's okay. Sometimes it's good, but, like, for the most part, it's really not that, it's really not that interesting, you know? Like, it's, it's... The expectations have a lot to do with it, but I think how seriously the artists take it just when they're, you know, all of them combined together. And I feel like they can just, you know, take a little bit of the load off just because it's such a large group of talent, you know? 
And, and it's not as though, like, uh, and there's this very muddy line of as to what counts as, you know, a, a supergroup versus what's just a band that happens to have a bunch of people who are famous beforehand joining it. Like, like there, there's a muddy case for, you know, calling Cosby, Sp- Stills, Nash, Crosby, Stills, and Nash a supergroup, and I, I, I tend to get, disagree with that. Maybe Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young was a supergroup, but even then, not really. Exactly. And you get to some other stuff like Journey. Journey, like Wikipedia calls them um, a supergroup, when really, you know, they they formed a pretty solid group and that stuck around for decades and produced a whole lot of albums. Yes, yes. And, um, and, it, and, it, and you claim the... And it's not like these guys in it were really all that famous to begin with. They're mostly guys who were in backup bands to, you know... Solo stars, you know, like yeah, two exactly. guys, two guys who back Santana, Santana, one of Steve Miller, Steve Miller's guys, and someone from the Tubes. Yeah, hey, the, man. like the, none of, of those guys were all that super to start. <laughs> exactly, and um, yeah, I mean that's that's it's the I think as time has worn on, the the definition of a supergroup has really kind of changed. When it's just like you know. Alter Bridge. Yeah. You have... I well, don't, I, well, what's weird is when rappers get together and it's and suddenly it's three rappers in one room. They're a super group. And I'm like, rappers guest on each other's stuff all the time. Yeah. This is different. Yeah, I guess so. You know, maybe it's... Because it's, you know, a full album instead of one or two tracks on an album that, that constitutes it. But uh, just... Can you really consider the... the the guys who play instruments in Creed plus a new singer to be a supergroup, like that—that's just a new. That's that's basically just Creed two. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know. It just, uh, like, there's, there's just too much, just nothingness, you know. And what's the deal with the Big Dirty Band? They, it's, it's like the lame people, like. The two guys from Rush, no, the two guys from Rush that are kind of the reason Rush didn't succeed, and some other people. It's just, yeah, like I mean, and and what? this is my point is that you know at supergroups, like there are precedents for really talented people for coming together to work on stuff in other mediums, like. When a bunch of really super talented actors get together for a movie with a really good director and a really good writer, it turns out they make a really good movie. Exactly. Why uh, Why can this not happen? It's not with, like a super movie. Yeah, why can this not happen with a band, with, with an album? Maybe they just call it a blockbuster in the movie world. But yeah, I just... Well, no, because, like, I'm trying to think of... Like, you, like... A lot of the Oscar bait movies have these crazy star-studded casts with good writers and good directors, and it's like that's why they win Oscars. I think the the concept of um, coming together for an album and then just like dissolving, I think that's better. You know, like like the Dirty Mac. The Dirty Mac never released an album. Yeah, they just but played together. They were they were just a bunch of guys who. Had some who just wanted to hang out, play a while, do a really, really, really good version of your blues, and it just sort of fade into the background as the artists went on to their own thing. Yeah, exactly. And from there, you know, like it doesn't have to be this big thing, you know, and so much of it I think has to do with the ego. Just that's kind of why when you have this amazing collection of talent smashed together, you know, person A says, I want to do this. And then person B says, I want to do this. And then C and D get in there and it just, you know, you have, you have to make a lot of compromises. So that and then it's like, to- I want two songs on this album. It's like, well, everyone else only got one. What's up with that? Exactly. Shut up and be happy to have, uh, whatever you have. It just, like, and I think going back to the movie analogy is maybe they just need stronger producers involved. Yes. Someone maybe, who can get in there and kind of 
you know, determine, you know, okay, you get this, you get this, you know, someone who with a strong personality, you can put them in their place. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world. In a perfect world. But here we are. Here we are. Imperfect world with lame bands that hype themselves up and release lame music. Bah. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So so the so now now onto the main event. Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix. What do you want to start with? Like I'm just how about your opening thoughts on Clapton? Alphabetically. <laughs> Clapton. I'll I'll say it up front. I am a Jimi Hendrix guy. Like he is like the first like real guitar god that I listened to uh when I was I was first, you know, really kind of educating myself seriously on music and not just listening to pure crap or Smash Mouth or Green Day or whatever the hell it was. MTV's After School Block. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, we're, we're Canadian. It was Much Music. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Much Music, still playing music videos, by the it's way. just so heavily Americanized, I can't help myself. Well, that's the thing is, so much of it is... And so much of what Much Music shows is recycled MTV content. Yeah. No, Despite sure. the fact that there's an MTV Canada to do that now. Makes perfect sense, right? No. No. But they still have music videos, which is one up on MTV. Yes. Absolutely. Um, right, but Eric Clapton always kind of struck me as a little bit more of a purist in terms of, you know, he would do a lot of, you know, like really, really old-timey blues covers, and, you know, he was he's very heavily kind of brought up and, and educated in that almost to a fault, you know, like he would go and, you know, do songs by like Robert Johnson and, and blind Lemon Jefferson. And it almost kind of felt to me like, you know, this is really good, but why am I listening to this? If I really you know wanted to hear like the authentic, Know, feeling from this music, I would go back and I would listen to the well, original recording. And, yes. and 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 this is something I'll say about Clapton is that he brought it to a generation of people that didn't know about this music. Like, yes. like yes. There, there were a lot of great blues musicians who had disappeared off the face of the earth musically that Clapton brought back, and he he did that throughout his whole career. And you know, in the eighties and nineties, he was helping guys like Buddy Guy, who had faded into obscurity. You know, start touring, start playing, you know, just just getting them around. And he, and he even popularized reggae to the English work to the English music world. So it, it's almost like Clapton is a big part in showing off other people. And that and when you talk about him and Clapton also is a really great collaborator. Yes. Like he, he is someone who goes into another group and makes it better. And, and again, going back to this list of supergroups, Clapton's name comes up a lot of times. Yeah, he's all over the place. He's all over the place. You know, he was in the Plastic Ono band. He was in Cream. He was in, you know, Derek and the Dominoes and all Blind these Faith. Blind Faith and all these amazing, you know, really the really standout examples of what a supergroup is, and Clapton's just around. Like, he makes everyone better for it. Yes, yes. And I mean, like, uh, he was always more kind of like an educator of the, of the blues rather than Led Zeppelin, who would just, you know, kind of take stuff from the blues guys and not really, you know, give them any credit or, or homage. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on that, you can go back and listen to the old... Uh, who, who was it? It was it was uh, Zeppelin versus uh, the Who versus versus who? The Who. The Who. Yes, yes. This the Who's on stage? Yeah, exactly. Who's on? Who's on first? Who's on first? Yes. Um, but Episode that, fifteen. It's in the blog roll twice because I screwed up. <laughs> right. Right. The, the best part about this is that we can just say stuff and we'll get cut out. Yep. <laughs> um. But. The thing I liked about Hendrix is that he could kind of, you know, take some of the old stuff 
and, you know, mix it in with his own kind of explosive style to create something new. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what all the great musicians have been able to do is they've been able to kind of, you know, they're, they're students of the past, but, you know, they can take what they've learned and make it their own without directly interpreting or copying. But, they, you know, they can take elements of that, you know, you can hear other artists in their playing. Case in point, the Star Spangled Banner. Exactly. The lamest song in history. Exactly. And he just... And he turned it into an anthem, man. Just, yeah, it just it's one of the most iconic moments in rock and roll history. Just playing there, you know, on the, on the stage at, at Woodstock. And just, it obviously didn't have the same impact on me as it did, you know, at the time. But, you know, I can still appreciate the, the the magnitude of that time in American history, you know, what it meant. It was just, it's 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 huge. You know, you, you can't really put it any simpler than that. It was just, it was just a huge, huge moment. And, and for, for better or for worse, you know, you can, I'm sure there are people who thought that this is not exactly the most patriotic moment of their lives. But, uh it was something that people talked about for, for many, many years uh, after the fact. And, you know, we are doing that right now. Yeah. And uh, something I'll, I'll say to defend Clapton just just is that he, he took the three-chord rock star, the, the, the three-chord rock song, like something like Sunshine of Your Love, and he took it to sort of its pinnacle, like very much perfected the form of the three-chord rock, which is jam, and it's at this point it's become part of the musical landscape. You you go back far enough into music history and you find that it wasn't there. It's sort of surprising. It's like not real. It's sort of like a mountain springing up in the middle of the 1960s and then everyone trying to make their own mountains in in that sort of style. Yes. Yes. That that was a terrible metaphor. <laughs> It's okay. I, I see where you're going with it. What Jimi Hendrix does is entirely inimitable. When you hear Jimi Hendrix playing Hey Joe, everyone thinks that he wrote that song, right? Just because the way that he played it. It's it's his, but it's not actually. It's 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 based on like, you know, traditional music. But the difference with Clapton is like I think you can when you hear his music, you can tell, you know, like, oh, okay, like this is the original blues, you know. I'm not specifically sure who it is, but I can tell, you know, this is definitely not his not his song. But with with Hendrix, you know, he owned it. And it, it and it's and it's very telling that this is he was one of the few cases where Bob Dylan heard another a cover of one of his songs. And handed it off to the guy who did the cover. Exactly. As being, yeah, no, that that's Should yours be, now. All and, Watchtower. And, and in, this, in subsequent years, when Bob Dylan goes on tour, which is always, yes. and plays all along the Watchtower, he covers Hendrix's version of it. That's right. How good do you have to be to make somebody reinvent their own song? Yeah. If it be Johnny Cash, good for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just think that the maybe the, some of the attitude had uh, had a lot to do with it. Made uh, Jimmy a bit more memorable, uh, in in my opinion. I mean, the one knock against him, and I don't really think it's any fault. Well, I mean. Perhaps the drug use factors in here, but uh, Hendrix's body of work, as strong as it is, you know, the three albums he did with the experience and then, you know, the live with the Band of Gypsies. It's just, it's not as, he's obviously not as prolific uh, a musician as, uh, as Clapton, but, you know, that's kind of a, kind of an unfair situation. Well, yeah. And I'm actually going to say the other way is that, you know what, Hendrix never had an opportunity to get really lame during the 80s and go kind of country. Yeah. Which was what Clapton did and hurts his him, I think. Yeah. Is that I, there was that period where Clapton's, Clapton was not good. <laughs> exactly. 
and then you know in the early 90s when the when Nirvana kind of breathed life back into music and uh you know did the the MTV unplugged bit he came and, and had an episode on that and it just you know got him back in the in the good books of the world like oh yeah that guy was really good at guitar i remember him well it's very telling that he could come back in the 90s and beat Nirvana yeah. for a Grammy oh those Grammy voters they uh they like what they like don't they yeah they they like what they like but and it's, it's uh, not often you hear about a career coming back like that exactly you know just unless you're Johnny Cash good yeah it's it's, it's funny just because do you think that any of Clapton's albums, solo or in a group, stack up to uh, Electric Ladyland? Well, what we have here is two people, two, two artists that I would consider to be in the top five guitarists of all time. Yeah, Rolling Stone would, too. Yeah, R- Rolling Stone would. <laughs> And you know what? Whenever they put together a top hundred list, I'm, I'm, I'm very seldom can I fault them for their top five picks. Yeah. Nope. Pretty well. These two guys are very close in my mind, and but Electric Ladyland is just it's very rare. Uh, flawless. Like that, that, that's an opus. Line. Electric Ladyland is just an incredible, incredible collection of songs. And sound exactly. and awesomeness that, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to compare anything to Electric Ladyland. Like how how rare is it that you know? Like I, at some point, I'd have to like. There, there's a certain point where it's like the only thing I can throw down that's better is like Beethoven's Ninth. Boom. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's just the card you throw down when you don't know what else to do in a music debate. It's like Beethoven's Ninth winner. The the thing about that is that that really makes it a, a special achievement. Is it like how rare for a double album to be considered one of the best albums of all time? Because most of the time it's just you know getting slag the gods. It's got a bunch of filler on it. You know it's kind of bigger than it has to be. It's bloated. Blah blah blah. I would say that is up there, absolutely, with one of the best albums of all time. Yeah, certainly one of the. It's it certainly makes a good case for the best double album of all time too. Oh yeah. I can think of a couple that might, you know, Exile on Main Street by the Stones and uh, Basement Tapes by Bob Dylan and the band, but uh, it's it's a it's a tremendous collection of music. Yeah, like if I were to compare anything to to uh, Electric Ladyland from Clapton, it would have to be the content of that Unplugged show. Yes. Yeah. Because that would have to be his best work, and even then, Electric Ladyland still kind of blows that out of the water. It's, uh, it has held up very, very well uh, over time, and it's just, it's just a collection of everything, you know, there's, um, kind of just like, you know, slower tracks. Um, you know, there's covers, obviously, with uh, the the very famous version of um, All Along the Watchtower on there. Which is infinitely better than U2's. Oh, God. No discussion. No, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, it just, it's, just, uh, it's just an amazing collection of music, really, because he has, like, the long kind of drawn out songs and the, and the you know like the short the, the 15 minute version of voodoo rock. child yeah exactly you know and it's just it's just a it's a fantastic it's I mean, what a way to go out you know with the the experience and i think at that point in his career uh hendrix was you know really really he i mean he was always a perfectionist but you know he was getting more into kind of like you know studio trickery and trying to get the perfect tape so he would always, you know, record and re-record and re-record and, you know, over and over again until he found exactly what he was looking for. So. Yeah, well, it was also at that time, like, I think around the same time was that he was starting to write a, starting to put down some notes for a, um, like a, um, I won't say a supergroup, but a collaboration with John, I believe it was John Coltrane. Yeah. Yeah. 
three. And, like, he's obviously trying to show off for, you know, someone he, he obviously thought was a master within his field. And I am so sad we never got that album. It would have, uh, it would have been special, for sure. I mean, it, you, you talk about two of the leading minds in their genres, and that's pretty much a snapshot of it right there. Could have been, could have been something really tremendous, but fortunately, we're gonna have to be left uh, wondering what could have been. I think the good thing about Clap, how well he's kind of, you know, he, he just fits into to everything so well. You know, he's like he's kind of like just like a musical chameleon. You can put him alongside it's like the the really hardcore blues players in uh, the you know John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, and he fits in perfectly there. Well, have you, you know, heard his album? He he released an album with BB King, right? And that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's like you know the original, and you know like really, really. I think that's part of the problem that I have with uh, with Clapton is that I can never really see him as anything more than a really, really talented guitar player. Like he's not much. I don't really see him. He's kind of like the inverted version of Bob Dylan, you know. Like, he's incredible at his instrument, but, like, when it comes to actually being able to, to craft a song, I think he's certainly not as uh, prolific as, as Jimi Hendrix. I wouldn't say he's he's weak by any means, but I just don't think he's he's as accomplished as, as Hendrix or many of his peers, you know. And, and this is not to say anything of commercial success. This is just, you know, speaking... On a critical level, because you know, he's had his fair share of uh, you know Billboard hits, and that's to be understood. So, and it's just you know Hendrix's sound, while while it's certainly influential, if influential, and you hear it in other artists and other guitarists, certainly is it is completely inimitable. Yes, like you you hear Hendrix play, you and know you know it's him. It's interesting to, looking at it now that. Uh, He's only ever had one number one single in the U.S. for one of the most prolific musicians of all time. You know, he's only had one hit. One, or sorry, one number one, I should say. And it's a Bob Marley cover. Yeah. I think that, that pretty well sums it up, you know. Like, incredibly talented guitar player, but, you know, he wasn't the full package. Jimmy could write songs. He could cover songs, and he could just—he just blow him just totally away. In in terms of, you know, being able to just put out like a, a fully conceptualized, you know, piece of music. I think if I could draft either one of them, as uh, if I'm starting a band and I'd want a guitar player, I would take Hendrix over Clapton, just because you know I, I think. And as good as Clapton is, I just think it's he just doesn't have the same level of, you know, kind of feeling that that Hendrix did, you know, to his to his music. And I'm not I'm not speaking, you know, for him. I'm speaking on a personal level for myself. You know, I just don't sense that same kind of feel that I do from uh, from from Jimmy. Shouldn't be calling him Jimmy. I don't it's not like I know him. <laughs> not on a first name basis. Yeah, but I don't think he's a Mr. Hendrix either. Yeah, oh no, he's he's way too cool for that. He, he's too cool for this. Yeah, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> I want a Lethal Weapon prequel. <laughs> I'd be okay with it. Well, uh, it'd give uh, it'd give an interesting insight to when you know, Riggs or uh, Murtaugh was exactly the right age for age for this shit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's that's really good. I'm the proper age for this shit. No. And they should get Donald Glover to play him. Oh my god, that would be amazing. That would be so good. <laughs> well, one thing I feel I should mention is that Jimi Hendrix's vocal styles, as much as his guitar styles, is incredibly awesome. I think his vocal styles kind of go unnoticed. And that's because it doesn't quite fit into the spectrum of rock and roll. But you see his sort of very staccato, rhythmic delivery 
carry into R&B to this day. It's true, really. I mean, um, up until that point, I don't really think there had been any really kind of like strong male, black, you know, like really, really... Because Chuck Berry was kind of weird, you know? Like, my dingling, like, I don't know, there's just something kind of... Maybe not weird is the right word, but it's like, you just... I, it couldn't be taken really seriously. Like, it was kind of almost jokey, you know? Like, I mean, he rocked, for sure. But there was an extra level to, to, to Hendrix, you know? That was just... You could kind of just sit there and just marvel at what was going on. Just like, oh, my God. Like, my mind is, like, being melted by this man's guitar, you know? Like, he was kind of, like, the first kind of guy who was so good at his instrument, he was able to do that. Well, second, actually. You know, the first, obviously, being... Uh, Marty McFly when he goes back in time and and, uh, you know. and, and inspires so much. Yeah, we, we got to do a Back to the Future episode. High school, high school prom. We got to do an episode yeah. where we review Back to the Future. Yeah. Oh man, I gotta play the games first. What I I saw something the other day about uh, this kid giving the middle finger uh, during the last sequence in uh, Back to the Future Three. No, no, it's not that he's flipping the bird, it's that he's pointing at his junk. Oh, okay, that's that's amazing. Kid pointing. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it, yeah, that's... Exactly, pointing out his flux capacitor. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes, okay. Do you have anything else to say about these two great, great guitarists before we get into who wins in a fight? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I know. I think I've I think I've said my piece. Yeah. You? I uh, I think I think we've got it. I think we've got it all together. And um, okay, so obviously Jimi Hendrix wins in a fight just because he's coming at you with a, gil- a flaming guitar. You don't know how to react to that. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you what do you do at that point? You just gotta take it in the face. Like he, the guitar is on fire, and he is after you. Oh my goodness! It just. Yeah, you're 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 done at that point. What does what does Clapton really have to be able to do? Maybe Clapton has like a Ark of the Covenant of you know the remains of all of his his, his blues heroes, and he opens them up, and the, the ghosts come flying through them. Like, like he's just got Robert Johnson's <laughs> like like his his severed hand, and he's like ah the power of blues. Exactly. You know, it's just. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't get this out of my head. Oh my god. Um, yeah, oh, fuck it. I don't know. Just give it to Hendrix. He's so much cooler. Nobody hey. needs another boring white guy in the world. All right, and uh, we go into favorites now because this is different, and we're talking about solo artists instead of talking about favorite member of a group. We're going to talk about favorite group they were in. Oh, yeah. So favorite group, song, album. Well, for, for, for Clapton, I think it's I'm going to be boring. I'm going to say uh, I really liked uh, – <laughs> it's not even really a Clapton song. It's it's by Steve Winwood. But uh, I love, love, love – can't find my way home off of uh, Blind Faith's, uh, Blind Faith's uh, self-titled. That's that's one of, my, one of my favorite, favorite songs. Not just uh, – I'm just talking ever. It's just yeah. fantastic. And, you know, the – I, I'm not sure if it's Winwood playing keyboards on that, but let me just okay. But yeah, I'm assuming that pretty well that Clapton had a lot to do with the guitar part on that. And it's it's tremendous. So that's that's my favorite song uh, as as far as uh, he's concerned. Jimi Hendrix, on the other hand, is a little bit more kind of mixed up, you know, just because he was, he only had the three albums, but yeah, they had a lot of different things, you know, going on and on each of the tracks. My favorite album is, uh, Electric Ladyland, but, uh, my favorite song is The Wind Cries Mary off of, uh, Are You Experienced? That's, that's, uh, that's my favorite by him it just you know you don't have to have like this blazing fast guitar solo 
in order to, you know, really wow people. You know, it can be kind of slower and just perfectly serene, you know, in order to, to capture somebody's imagination. And that's really what I feel uh, happened in, in that case with me. It just, I don't know what it was, but it kind of just struck me at the right time and it just, it just stuck with me ever since. Yeah, so, you know, Wind Cries Mary. Good ones. And favorite group for Clapton? Who is he best with? I guess you have to say you have to say Cream, right? I mean, Blind Faith were kind of just like a one-off. There was a great album, but it's that's you know where is his? You, you can say his solo stuff, but yeah, I, I mean, I would say the Blues Breakers because he's playing with Jimmy Page, but that's before they were you know who they were. So it's like it's not quite the same. I mean, it's cool to look back at, but it's just not as good. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Cream. You have to. I have to. All right. So for my favorites, I'm going to say, okay, like Electric Land, Incomparable as an album. But favorite favorite single song is going to be Castles Made of Sand nice. off Axis. Nice. Just because, again, it, it's not that blazing fast, but it just captures your mind. And then the lyrics, like... People don't talk about Hendrix's lyrics much, but there there are a few cases here, and like Castles Made of Sand is a big is a good example of just I can you know just find a way to tweak at you vo- vocally as well as just with the pure music. How creepy is EXP? Oh, I'm just gonna have somebody on my talk show and then just oh he's an alien. He's yep. go. Thanks. Castles Made of Sand, that's fantastic. That's an incredible, you know, that and Little Wing on the same album is just, what can you say? So for Clapton, yeah, I'm, I'm going to cop out and say Cream. Cream. Definitely not a cop out. Not, not a cop out, but it's sort of like the obvious pick. And yeah. favorite album from Clapton is going to be Disraeli Gears. Fantastic. Strange Brew, Sunshine of Your Love, Good Rockin' Out. That like, is the one. Wheels of Fire is close, just for White Room. Just for that, really. It's just such a, like an Old West sound to it, you know? Oh. Yeah. And and yet, it sounds like, it's so simple, it sounds like it was done like a, you know, like a, it was a piece of wax paper on a comb. So good. So good. And then... Single song. I'm gonna have to go with. I don't think it was in the unplugged special. No, not the unplugged special. But later, he does. Clapton started doing a version of Layla that combined the acoustic version with uh, Mark Knopfler playing the lick from the from the original version at the same time. I'll find a YouTube version of it for the show notes. But it it just combines so much awesome. Sounds like it. Oh yeah, it it was. It it's a. It's really good to hear. What one thing we can do is best cover. Ooh. Hmm. From both from each of them. So best but best of their covers. For Hendrix, I think it's I think it's fairly obvious for me. I think his version of uh, Hey Joe is the one, you know, like that's <clears throat> everyone says and it's no fault of Hendrix, but I think I've just heard and it is an incredible piece of music, but I just think I've just heard uh, all along the Watchtower just too much. You know, it's just kind of being played to death. It's not quite... Do, see, no, see, uh, S-Dug, I think if you're hearing it being played more often than you... I think you're hearing it more often than it's actually being played, and that means you're a Cylon. I'm sorry. I'm a Cylon? <laughs> oh, no. I, I always feared this day would come. <laughs> Sorry, you you are part. Of, you're you're the last one of the final five. Shit. <laughs> well, if I'm a toaster, then yeah, I guess. I guess that's it for me. I really like his cover of "Born Under a Bad Sign." Can I say that? Is yeah, that you, loud? yeah, that's allowed. <laughs> okay, and I just I always like that song, but he doesn't quite sound as. He sounds a little bit more kind of comfort, comfortable in that. Um, knocking on Heaven's Door is good too. Yeah, it's it's 
If it's not one of those, it's the other. I, I, I'm going to say all on the Watchtower, just because, j- just for Dylan handing it over to him. Like, that. That's usually, that's usually a big sign. Bob Dylan doesn't do that just for just anybody. Bob Dylan does not do that for anybody. And uh, favorite cl- cover from Clapton, Crossroads. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Bobby Johnson. I heard uh, you ran into the devil. Yeah. What's sort of in- what's sort of interesting is that whole Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil story that has sort of wormed its way into pop culture. Like at one point, I was flipping through like some I don't like it might have been a D and D like a D and D splat party a splat book from a third party that was just random magic items and the guitar and the Crossroads guitar was in there and I'm like awesome. <laughs> I was kind of wish that, that Keith Richards and Eric Clapton could have played together for longer. Yeah. You know? like. Well, there's still an opportunity. Yeah. They're both still still walking the earth. It's not like <laughs> R.E.M. That's, that's, that ship has sailed. Oh. Keith Richards is just kind of shambling more than walking. It's true. <laughs> but he'll shamble on forever, I say. Exactly. There's still hope. Never give up. As long as there's fighting them bones. Oh, the fight won't leave his bones till a few years after they bury him. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, your thoughts on best cover from Clapton? Yeah, born under a bad sign, or um, yeah, I guess I guess it is. I just don't feel comfortable with uh, with the Dylan song, especially that Dylan song. So yeah, yeah. born under a bad sign. Yeah, for sure. It's can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. That and the fact that. Eric Clapton did soundtrack songs for each of the four Lethal Weapons, so I think he gets points for that. <laughs> All four of them. Exactly. You know, like you. And only the and remember, Lethal Weapon. Only the third one was bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much better than Jimmy Page, who did the uh, soundtrack to uh, Death Wish Two. Oh God. Yeah. But yes, now would be a good time to tease the general public, as opposed to the one guy I've told is that our next music debate is going to be uh, pop band soundtracks uh, sound off for um, Queen, Queen's uh, Kind of Magic, which was the soundtrack to Highlander, and the Flash Garden album, versus the soundtrack to um, Legend and... Uh, what was the other one? Before Dark? Near Dark, which were by... Uh, you might have to do some research for this. I'm not too uh, familiar with all those things. By uh, I can't even remember the band anymore. Tangerine Dreams. Tangerine Dream did the soundtrack for every '80s uh, movie. Yeah, think. I'm gonna have to rewatch those movies just to. I've not seen Legend since I was very small. I think it's on Netflix now. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, I'll check that out. I think I saw it on there. Either that or Lady Hawk. I get those movies confused for some reason. Yeah, you know, I I definitely understand that. Lady Hawk was okay. Well, except then you realize that no one in that movie ever actually slept. And that kind of ruins it. Yeah, oh man, I guess that's, uh, yeah, that's true, really. I never really thought about it like that. And that Matt Broderick still looks that young. Couldn't age if his life depended on it. Which it does! It does! Oh. Oh, I've, I've seen him, like, I've seen him try and grow a beard. Oh it still God. looks like the patchy, like, thing you try to grow when you're 15. That sounds disgusting. Oh, crap. They did do every... Tangerine Dream did every 80s movie. I don't have to pick... I don't have to rewatch Near Dark for that. Because they did Sorcerer, Thief, The Keep, Risky Business, Firestarter, Legend, Near Dark, and Miracle Mile. Jesus. Not enough. But yeah, it's, it's Queen, Tangerine Dream, Soundtrack Fight. Of course, I say that now, and it'll take us another ten episodes to get to that, just because scheduling gets weird for us. Done. Uh, let me know, and uh, we will we'll work something out. Yeah. I'll try and keep you in the loop for a few other upcoming episodes that you might want in on. Okay. And with oh, that, no. good night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, I thought they smelled bad. On the outside.
outside is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License Version 3.0 International. Check our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com for contact information.